MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 6th, 2021. Today, I'll be talking with the founder of Marked by COVID, Kristen Urquiza, about her organization who just finished up COVID Lobby Days, hashtag COVID Lobby Days, by the way, and I have some good news on that front. Kristen emailed me after we sat down for this interview that you're about to hear to tell me that Senator Warren announced she is introducing a resolution for a permanent COVID Memorial Day on the first Monday of March. Um, That is a companion to Urquiza's House resolution and mirrors the 165 mayors she organized to issue resolutions in their own cities. That's awesome work. And then later, I'll be talking to Rick Smith of The Rick Smith Show. You can hear this show everywhere. He's amazing. And we're going to discuss the latest development in the Amazon union battle and talk about some labor stuff. So I hope you enjoy these interviews. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Today, I am very happy to be talking to someone who I've been going back and forth with on the internet and social media for a while, sharing tweets, retweeting. Uh, She's a co-founder of Marked by COVID, and her name is Kristen Orquiza. Kristen, welcome. Welcome to me. I'm so excited to be here and to finally meet you in a kind of more real way. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. We've been doing so much stuff behind the scenes over the past six months or so. And I'm glad to finally have you on because I wanted to talk to you about your organization you co-founded. It's called Marked by COVID. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about why you started this organization and and what the mission is. Absolutely. So we are a nonprofit working to ensure that the people who've been most impacted and harmed by the virus are not forgotten in the response and the recovery. And we're also working for accountability and justice uh, for our lost loved ones. And what unfortunately brought me to uh, this position was that on June 30th, of last year, 2020, I lost my dad to COVID. Um, he was 65. He was otherwise healthy. Um, you know, between June 11th and June 30th, he woke up um, with a cough. And then by the 30th, he was gone. So it was quick. It was overwhelming. And the feeling that I felt in addition to grief was just rage, rage that this should not have happened that the spike in the summer could have been prevented had we taken more sound uh, public health measures and that, you know, my dad and so many others um, like my dad were caught in the middle and as a, as a result were forced to lose their lives. That's just, it's so, that's such a tragedy and I'm so, so sorry for your loss. You know, I've lost my dad, but not in this sort of preventable way. Yeah, I can't even imagine the kind of uh, the kind of rage that comes with that. I was uh, I was already mad, so you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you dumped that on top of that, and that's got a lot to do with our elected officials and the downplaying of the pandemic, the lies that we were told. Can you talk a little bit about what marked by COVID does? To, to try to help hold these elected officials responsible for this totally preventable thing? I think one of the things that we're exceptionally good at is constantly reminding uh, folks that this was real, that it happened, and that it had profound consequences. So we are really aligning ourselves to make this uh, communal commitment to never forget so that we learn, so that we... Um, take that wisdom and pass it on to future generations on how to handle a public health crisis, but also so that we can see what the facts are and how um, we should hold public officials accountable. So one of the things that we are calling for is a commission uh, to fully investigate the federal government's response, preparedness, um, not only at the, the national level, but at state and local levels as well. And for us, it's it's not about any one person. It's about how we looked the other way and allowed for a whole system, ecosystem of politicians to, as you said, downplay, lie, distort the reality, and you know, six hundred thousand plus Americans died, and you know, we are um, led 
by people who are directly harmed by the pandemic. So, you know, the folks who are part of our community lost a loved one, they're folks who had COVID and are, you know, suffering from long COVID. So this is really a victim's family as well as survivors led grassroots movement that is knocking on the doors of our elected officials saying, listen, this is what happened to me and I demand answers. Yeah. And I just I really hate another thing that I'm outraged about is the politicization yep. of this pandemic, because, you know, I, I would love to have a commission mm-hmm. to study the, the pandemic, much like we had a 9-11 commission, much like we tried to have a bipartisan insurrection <laughs> commission. Mm-hmm. But because of the politicization, and there's responsibility all around, but there's one party specifically mm-hmm. that doesn't want the truth to get out. And I'm afraid that even if we tried to set up this commission to get to the bottom of what happened, just to prevent it from happening again. And and they they did this downplaying an anti, you know, prevention thing that they did in, in, in 20, 2020, despite already having a history of, of pandemics to look to, to learn from. And so, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that your that your organization is doing this because it's so important that we get all this on the record and keep it in our memories because it's not going to be another hundred years before it happens again. I don't think. That's exactly but. right. That is exactly right. And that note on the commission, there are a couple of different models that could be um, implemented to set up a commission that's independent. It can be done by an act of Congress, but not put the power of electing commissioners in the arms of people like Mitch McConnell, who I just don't trust to be able to seek the truth. Um, And I don't want this to turn into a, you know, finger pointing at China or just, you know, alone finger pointing at President Trump. There were other people Um, right there enabling him. So for us, we are calling for an independent commission that would not um, have that that taintedness um, that some of these other models could have. And my only concern is that it has to be approved by Congress that I don't think the Republicans in the Senate would vote for it, which is, you know, we could talk about the filibuster and how we need to get rid of that (laughs) another day. Totally. But yeah, But even if like the CDC or the National Institute of Health, Department of Health and Human Services put together some sort of a commission, much like the Pentagon put together (laughs) a commission under the Biden administration to look at sexual assault in the military and make recommendations. But again, because it's under the Biden administration, you're I think you're only going to hear Republicans say, oh, this is political. And, uh, you know, and they're just trying to go after us in the 2022 election. But you know, if you if you don't want to lose your elections, don't do shit that sucks. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I love it. Yes. No, that's totally at the end of the day. Don't do shitty shit. Uh, but that's you know, that is the reality. And I think we need to be playing in that same game. Um, and you're right. I I struggle to think of, uh, you know, a, a Senate that would, uh, you know, indict itself essentially by establishing a commission, which is why. We're not necessarily advocating for a public commission. It could be public or private, such as the Carter uh, Ford Commission that came out of the 2000 yeah. elections. Or hire Booz Hamilton. Yeah, to totally. Or yeah. look back to like, you know, you know, who out there, there are, there are, this is like the most profound thing that's happened to us. And I think we're all still kind of like in shell shock, right? From having lived through the past year and a half. And part of what marked by COVID is I think, you know, really doing with, with being sort of in the zeitgeist of, of what's next is helping to expand our consciousness and be like, you know, we don't actually have to accept things that are so crappy. Like we, our standards are so low right now. You know, I, I, I think that we deserve a little bit better. Like we just went through the most harrowing thing. We lost more people than we've done, like lost in almost all of the recent wars, we've, we're going to lose more people to COVID than we lost in the civil war. And I remember being taught as a kid that like, that was the war that was the one where we lost the most Americans. It was just really profound to me. And as we're in this moment too, of racial reckoning, I can't help, but think it is so important that we give the gift of more than one point of view to our children and grandchildren so that in a hundred years, we're not trying to quote unquote, rewrite history. We just have history recorded. 
for <laughs> we just have it recorded. Wouldn't that be nice to just report on history? Yeah. Um, all sorts of and, you know, it's not just with COVID that that's going on right now. People trying to whitewash history. Exactly. Uh, in the name of 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 trying to make America seem awesomer than that it might be, or at least that's past. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of the concrete ways that you're making sure that that people impacted aren't falling through the cracks. And and I want to talk about your the honest obituary mm-hmm. that was written in Arizona Republic, by the way, about your father. So but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG from The Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Ground News. I watch the news every day, all day. My eye is on it all the time, and I gather information from all sorts of various sources. But it's a lot of legwork to get all the different sides. And the current media landscape is kind of fundamentally flawed. Press Today is no longer neutral. It's financially motivated to publish divisive content to generate clicks. Ever since the orange man is out of the White House, people aren't panicking anymore. So they're being dramatic and trying to just get you to click on stories. And the headlines don't really match what's inside. And social media can exacerbate this problem, too. And Ground News is one of the few companies out there trying to solve this problem. Ground News is a new startup aimed at rebuilding that shared sense of reality and putting readers back in control of the news that is presented. Founded by a former NASA engineer who I got a chance to talk to on the show, they are a news comparison platform, empowering readers to see how sources with different underlying biases are covering a story and form a balanced view of the day's most important news. The platform itself is apolitical. It's for anyone who's not afraid of having their opinions challenged or just want to see what the other channels are saying. And you want to be open to seeing multiple perspectives. Ground has an immense library of sources featuring over 50,000 outlets from across the world and political spectrum. You can see every side of every side so you can come to your own conclusions. Their blind spot feature is cool. It enables you to check out the news stories you're reading in your general area. And then you can see like how they're being reported on the other side of the political aisle. You might otherwise miss that in your bubble. Ground is what I want the future of news to look like. Nonpartisan, only interested in keeping you informed, showing you all the options, no matter your politics. Try it for yourself. Search for Ground News in the App Store or click on the link in this podcast show notes to download the free Ground News app now. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the co-founder of Marked by COVID. This is an incredible organization. And uh, it's uh, Kristen Orkiza. And I really appreciate your time today speaking to me about this and how this has impacted you personally, which is just it's so it's just so tragic. And again, my my deepest condolences to your family, because I'm reading the honest obituary of your father tells the unvarnished truth about his death and and holds public servants like Ducey, Mm -hmm. Arizona governor, to account. And, you know, my parents live in in Arizona and I was Uh terrified, Mm -hmm. terrified by what was going on and what was being told to the public by people like Doug Ducey. But here's an excerpt from this. It says, Mark, like so many others, should not have died from COVID-19. His death is due to the carelessness of the politicians who continue to jeopardize the health of brown bodies through clear lack of leadership, refusal to acknowledge the severity of the crisis and inability and unwillingness to give clear and decisive direction on how to minimize risk. Mark's daughter, Kristen Danielle, and her partner, Christine Keeves, are channeling our sadness and rage into building an awareness campaign so fewer families are forced to endure this. Um, It's just, you know, driving home that point that this was preventable. And I think that that's the the kind of the crux of of this situation. And, And also... Your organization, you you know, you say that that you're taking steps to ensure people fall, don't fall through the cracks, especially disproportionately impacted communities, like you said, black and brown people, and particularly in Arizona, the Latinx community. Mm-hmm. What are some of the concrete steps and concrete ways that Marked by COVID is helping ensure that those people aren't forgotten? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that we've been advocating for are memorials. Um, memorials in order to really capture that history that we've been talking about, but also to give people that open space to grieve that public acknowledgement that is needed to really remember and honor those that have been lost. But we're also doing things that are a little bit more here and now as well. We've been working um, very closely with elected officials and others in the Latinx community in, in Phoenix to show where there have been vaccination um, holes in our vaccination rollout. So in April of this last year, for example, my neighborhood of Maryvale, which is where my dad lived, where I grew up, 
only had a 14% vaccination rate, despite a statewide vaccination rate that was close to 40%. And the affluent white community of Scottsdale had a vaccination rate of 77%. And lo and behold, Doug Ducey had just um, established a new mass vaccination site in the zip code that had the highest vaccination rate in the state. So we're also sort of acting as a watchdog group to really help see and pinpoint leveraging uh, social media and the media where public officials all along the lines are falling short of their constituents, in particular communities like Maryvale that had the highest death rates in the entire state, but also have you know, the lowest vaccine hesitancy. It's just been an issue of access. These are folks that don't have the luxury to Netflix and chill. They're working two jobs. They have several children. Like being able, they can't take time off of work in case they get sick from the vaccine. So we have really been focused on helping to kind of connect those dots so that more funding and more resources are getting into communities hard hit, as well as just raising this um, important issue that, you know, President Biden said in his joint address that, you know, trickle down economics doesn't work. Well, my, I agree. And I also agree that I also think that trickle down equity doesn't work. We need to be really centering equity in every single decision that we're, we're making. And, and the Biden, you know, White House does have an equity task force. It's the first of its kind. I was talking, I've spoken to Dr. Nunez Smith on multiple occasions, and I think that they're doing good work, but the outcomes are still that we are not vaccinating people of color at the same rate as we are others. And that's a that that is an important story that we are not letting rest. Yeah, I think it should be treated like. I think these politicians should treat vaccinations the way they treat votes. Mm-hmm. Go out door to door, bring the vaccine to the people. If they worked as hard to vaccinate people as they worked as hard to get them to vote for them, I think we would see, <laughs> I think we would, we'd be able to center that equity a little bit. Allison, I have to share with you that the, one of my favorite sayings that I say to my partner, Christine, all the time is if only they loved my life as much as they love my vote. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, that needs to be on a shirt. That needs to be that needs to be that needs to be out there. OK, so we have a lot of people in this country, generally Republicans, who don't believe things are bad until it specifically happens to them or don't believe things happen unless it, it, it impacts their lives. For example, so many Republicans I've seen flip from, you know, being anti-gay marriage to pro-gay marriage when they find out one of their family members is an LGBTQ plus member and all of the shit that they've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. I see this with the vaccine, too. Sometimes it sometimes, though, it, they, they have a loved one die or a family member die and they're still like, no, it's still a hoax. But I mean, it's easy to reach out to to people who are willing. At what, what sort of steps are you taking to reach out to the unwilling? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm just not focusing any of my attention on the unwilling because I believe that there is a lot of attention to the unwilling. Um, you know, the the campaign messaging or the messaging that I've been seeing so far up until like a month ago from or a couple months ago from the Biden administration felt like a plea to folks who are against vaccination to get vaccinated. Um, you know, the president of the United States has the largest microphone of any of us to be able to push forward a public service message. Um, I care more about the folks who are in the middle, um, which largely are folks that are mostly struggling to make ends meet and don't have the information they need to, to make, you know, to have, uh, to, to make the decision about the vaccine. So for us, you know, I, Mark by COVID is really focused less on the folks who are not believing versus the folks who don't have enough information or the folks who have been directly harmed and are, again, shell-shocked about what to do next and giving folks an outlet for really channeling that whole host of emotions um, that we are dealing with as a result of living and dying through this pandemic. Yeah. And the parallels with with voting are just so strong because that's who we tend to uh, spend our money and resources to reach out to is Mm -hmm. 
swing voters, people on the fence, independent voters, people who need more information, low in, low information voters. And I agree with you. I think that the, the money and the time is more well spent going into communities to educate people who who are more willing or would be more willing to to take the vaccine than than those who can't who whose glasses are already full. Mm-hmm. You can't, as my dad used to say, you can't <laughs> add water to a full bucket. Uh, your dad sounded like a cool guy. He was. He was a cool guy. And so did yours. And again, I'm extremely profoundly sorry for your loss. And I'm so glad that you're taking that rage and channeling it into something productive. I think that, you know, that's that was one of the things that I thought made President Biden kind of the right man for this moment is that he understands loss and he's able to to, you know, transform that into purpose. And there needs to be improvements (laughs) and we still need to be pushing. But uh, I, you know, I'm so glad and so thankful for what you're doing. Can you tell everyone how they can support your organization and where they can find more information? Yeah. So markbycovid.com is our website. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I encourage folks to check out our uh, uh, 5R policy platform. It's, It's basically how do we build back better in this context and ensure that people harmed by the pandemic are not left behind. Um, so it's bold. It's made by people who were harmed. And that's markedbycovid.com backslash policy. And there's a petition there to support the, the platform that I encourage folks to sign. Yeah. So the, fi- the, R, the, the R is response, recovery, restitution, resiliency, and, and recognition. I think these are important, very, very important. Uh, and this is a brilliantly laid out plan. I, I'm I hope everybody checks this out by going to going to the going to the website because there's just so much information. You can sign up to get more information. You can help support and 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 do your part. And thank you so much for for organizing this and and being a force of of good in the country. I I really appreciate you. Uh, you know, I felt in many ways that I did not have a choice um, given the you know maelstrom of. Uh, weather that was beating down on me. So, um, you know, but now it is a choice and I do it not only for my dad, but there were just so many people in our country that were wronged and we cannot allow for that to go unnoticed because what happens tomorrow? Yeah. And it, and it's not about what happens to us. It's about what we do with it. And you're a warrior. Don't forget about it. Thank Don't you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you so much. Co-founder of Marked by COVID. Please check out the information on the website. Thank you, Kristen Urquiza. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Allison. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG with the Beans. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Upstart. If you're carrying a credit balance for month after month, it can feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of debt. You're just paying on the principal and the bills keep staying the same or going up. But Upstart can help you make that final payment so you can get ahead. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal online loan. And over half a million people have used Upstart already to consolidate high-interest debt and pay off credit cards or fund personal expenses with simple fixed monthly payments. Unlike other lenders, they look at more than just your credit score. Upstart knows you're more than just a number. So they look at your income and employment history, stuff like that. That means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval, your funds can be available as quickly as one business day. So, you know, get out of that credit card debt. I know a lot of us were living off credit cards over the pandemic. A lot of my friends are comedians, gig workers. We've driven up this debt. And I really recommend checking out Upstart. Go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash dailybeans. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. The loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and other certain information provided in your loan application. So just head to upstart.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy to be joined today by my friend. I've appeared on your show many times, friend, and, and now I'm glad to have you here. Host of the Rick Smith Show by Working People for Working People. Please welcome Rick Smith. Hi. Hi, Allison. Thanks for taking time for me. Yeah, no problem. Also very, very proud to announce you'll be joining us over at MSW Media as one of our shows on our group. Really looking forward to it. Excited to to be joining with you. You guys do great work and I'm looking to help expand and and do whatever we can do to help. Yeah. And here's where I need your help, right? Because we have a bit of a gap when it comes to news with unions and labor, and that is your specialty. And I wanted to talk to you about some news today with regards to those topics. Can you, first of all, fill us in on what's going on with Amazon? A big story, you know, coming up, potentially coming out of the NLRB as of right now, 
uh, a hearing officer with one of the NLRB offices, uh, Region 10 in Atlanta, uh, has decided that the, uh, the, the unfair labor practices and the charges uh, brought by the RWDSU, the union that was trying to organize the workers at, in uh, Amazon in Bessemer, Alabama. Um, this hearing officer is saying that all of these, these irregularities and inappropriate things that happened should justify a, uh, a secondary election. They should set aside the election that Amazon won and have to redo it again. This, this, is, this, this is big stuff because the NLRB doesn't usually do this. And um, but you know what Amazon got away with um, is what all corporations get away with these days uh, when they're when they're breaking up unions and they're assaulting workers who are trying to join and form unions to fight for better wages, hours, conditions. It was just that this time everybody was paying attention to Amazon because Amazon spent two hundred million dollars fighting back an organizing campaign of five thousand workers uh, in Alabama in a right to work state. So it wasn't about money. It wasn't about benefits. It wasn't about any of the stuff that uh, that normally is. It's about power. It's about Amazon saying we're never going to have a union in any of our workplaces, and we will spend every dollar we have to to ensure that that happens. Now, every union election, as anybody might know, you get the same kind of harassment, the captive audience meetings where you have to come in and listen to the boss say how horrible the union is and threaten how they you may lose your job and how we may close the place down and all things that are illegal. Yeah, very they illegal. They get away with it. But they get away with it anyway. Amazon did this. In fact, Amazon plastered the bathrooms with anti-union propaganda. They held captive audience meetings, um, basically made people wear anti-union paraphernalia. But the, the thing that's getting the most attention Somehow Amazon figured out how to get the Postal Service to deliver a mailbox during a pandemic on time to their facility so that they could collect the ballots uh, at the Amazon facility while having 30 cameras in every direction trained on this box. This one mailbox was the most secure, most watched mailbox in the entire world. Because they wanted to know who was who was putting their ballot into that box. They wanted to know who was voting and they were counting votes. Look, this is a, this is a company that runs on data. They followed every person. They they had meetings with every person and they knew what the outcome was going to be. But they still kept pushing and they still kept. Uh, and I, I love the, the headline was, you know, improprieties. No, they broke the law. Mm. And all that all that potentially could come out of this. And, and people are going, wow, this is historic. They may set aside the election and have a revote. Um, to me, they broke the law. The NLRB should impose union recognition immediately. And Amazon should have to start bargaining for, for a contract immediately. That's if we had any functional labor laws in this country. Sadly, all of them are broken, ossificated and and the pendulum has swung so far to the side of employers that working people have really almost no chance of organizing a company like Amazon. Yeah, you'd think it would be simple and open and shut. And I wanted to ask you about something. You you touched on the reason and you said it all has to do with power. And I believe you said $200 million they spent on 5,000 employees to prevent them from organizing, which seems like to a, a person like me, and, you know, I have some experience with with labor unions. I, my my master's is in human resources, labor relations. I've done tons of this with government unions. But it seems to me if you had two hundred million dollars, why not give the workers what they want? It would certainly cost less than two hundred million dollars because it's not about the money. It really isn't. And I've, I've had employers I've done organizing over the years. I've had employers say it's not about the money. I don't want anyone here questioning my authority. I am the king of this, this cast. I am the master. And in fact, you know, where I'm at in Pennsylvania, the workers' compensation law still looks at the employee-employer relationship as master and servant, uh, as the employer is the master and the employee is the servant. Uh, that's what they see. That's what we've, we've allowed our laws to turn into. So corporate America has this kind of power and they're not giving it up easily. So you're right. Amazon would have spent $200 million over the next probably 15 contracts 
uh, to give workers better wages at better hours, better conditions. And oh, by the way, probably could have done something about their 150% turnover rate. Right. Uh, maybe they could have kept some people around uh, and had, had a better functioning business, but they don't want any of that. This is all about power and control. This is about corporate America has both hands firmly planted on the steering wheel, and they are not giving up control without some major, major labor law reform, which is why you know I, I think Joe Biden is doing the right thing. I wish the Democrats would get off their duff and actually do something and move us towards getting some kind of labor law reform. The PRO Act is is a reasonably good start. Personally, I'd love to undo all of the horrible effects of Taft-Hartley, but something has to be done, or to be honest, uh, labor is done probably in, in three or four years. And when you say labor is done, what do you mean? The unions? We're already in the private sector at union density rates where it you know, going a hundred years, going back a hundred years ago, where it was illegal to be a union member, uh, where they could force you to sign a yellow dog contract that if you ever, if you ever joined a union, you could be fired immediately. And the Supreme Court held that up for years. Uh, there were more union members back then as a percentage of the workforce than there are now in the private sector. Uh, the only reason that the, the union density is up over ten percent still is because the public se- sector is still overwhelmingly unionized, but in the private sector, it's about six percent. And it's dwindling because these companies and the Trump administration was a big part of, of, of making it easier to decertify unions and easier to, to set aside contracts. We could see the end of the whole ballgame if we can't continue to organize. Well, I saw it as a government employee under the Trump administration when we got the notification that there would be no more bargaining, collective bargaining. Yep. And, and I said, uh, what? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's... Um, codified somewhere. Gosh, I can't quite put my finger on it. I think they call it the law. I think it's like, you know, like the fumble and the drive. (laughs) And I I was flabbergasted and we had a union uh, guy come in and explain to us what we could no longer do and and talk about. And at that point, I was actually management, but I didn't have any subordinates. So in my chain of command, but I was still absolutely taken aback. And then when they did the thing where certain people were no longer union members, you know, they wanted to make dues optional. I mean, there was just all sorts of weird things moving around. But but when they came in and said no more collective bargaining, I absolutely that just blew my mind. How is that even possible and legal in this country? Well, one of the things the Trump administration was able to do and, you know, look, they had the power to do it. They appointed they nominated and confirmed Supreme Court justices who uh, set aside the Abood decision, which made the public sector a right to work country. So er, er, so everybody could be freeloaders. And what we saw is massive numbers of people, you know, not paying dues anymore. And the unions have been just just decimated financially. And that's the goal of these no rights at work laws to hamper the ability of unions to fight back and defend their workers. And then people go, well, you can't do anything because you don't have the resources. It's that self-fulfilling prophecy. And they look, the Republicans have done this masterfully over the last 50 years. Uh, they have destroyed what was once a very prosperous working class and turned it back into a desperation class, uh, which is why, again, I come back to Joe Biden in my lifetime, probably the most pro-union president, in fact, has done more for unions in, in my lifetime as a president than any of the others just on day one. On day one, firing Peter Robb as the general counsel of the NLRB was, to me, the better than anybody else, because Peter Robb, and what's interesting is, you know, today uh, is, what, uh, the, the uh, 40th anniversary of the firing of the PATCO workers right. uh, by Ronald Reagan, August August 5th, uh, the firing of the PATCO workers, the 40, 40th anniversary. Peter Robb was instrumental in that actually happening. And as I say all the time, that was the shot heard across the boardrooms. That was the shot that CEOs heard to say, hey, it's open season on working people. And we have seen an assault year after year after year on workers. And what have we seen wage-wise? Wages are stagnant, declining. Healthcare benefits are being ripped away from us. Pensions stolen. Working conditions gone. And you know that, that eight-hour day that people fought, bled, and died for, a thing of the past. And, you know, we didn't have the big marches in the streets. We didn't have the militancy. Uh, I fear that my kids, I fear they're going to have to fight the fights of my grandparents' generation. Mm, that seems to be 
That seems to be going around on all kinds of issues right now, Rick. I have a couple more questions about Amazon, but I do need to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back with Rick Smith. Hey, everybody. It's AG. So many products today are mass produced. They, they're made shoddily and they, you know, they, they're, they're designed so you have to buy them more often and then they end up in landfills. It's unsustainable. It's bad for the planet and they don't have quality. They aren't durable. But today's sponsor, American Giant, is committed to bringing craftsmanship and attention to detail back to the United States. Baird Winthrop, who's the founder and CEO of American Giant, was determined to make the best T-shirt on the market because he wasn't satisfied with what was available out there. American Giant's best-selling premium tee's iconic silhouette is made in the USA with a custom heavyweight slub fabric that's not see-through and it's non-torquing, unlike other slub tees on the market. American Giant spent over a year obsessing over this fabric. They tested several variations until they found the perfect one for this t-shirt. It's made from 100% American-grown cotton. It has a rich, varied texture. It's got a unique look. It holds its shape. It's very fitting. It's wonderful. No matter how many times you wash it and wear it, it holds its color and it holds its shape. And the unique fabric and tailored fit of American Giant's premium tee is set apart from other tees. The first thing I noticed about this premium tee was its substantial and comfortable construction. But even after a bunch of washes and wears, it's still soft. It still looks as great. It fits perfectly. It looks like it's brand new. So get your favorite tees at American-Giant.com today. Use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That is 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. Welcome back. We are talking to the host of The Rick Smith Show, newest member of MSW Media. You can check us all out at mswmedia.com. Rick Smith. Rick, before the break, we were talking a little bit about Amazon. We were talking about a little bit uh, a little bit about the, where the country was headed, a lot of stuff that happened under Trump, and now, uh, you know, things that started happening to reverse that course under, under President Biden, particularly day one, when you were talking about the general counsel being ousted there, which, yeah, number one, <laughs> the best move that I could think of for the NLRB. But but to go back to Amazon for a minute, because I, I want to get uh, more background on this for everybody. That first election that Amazon won, when when was that held? Uh, was about, about two months ago. Yeah. And you, you talked about the rarity of calling for another election, right? I, I can't think of an instance. You know this better than me. And I'm sure it has happened, but it's it's very rare. Usually the union accepts the election results. But because of the amount of malfeasance. Now, you talked about some of the examples of that. But what what would this look like? Would this be I mean, the union can't just call for it and get it. How do they go about getting a, a revote? No, well, see, at the end of the day, when the NLRB holds an election, um, you, those are the results. You can appeal that uh, you can you can you know file appeal on it, which our, our WDSU did. Uh, because there were all of these things that were going on. They they actually were hiring, you know, people who had just gotten out of jail uh, with sandwich boards with anti-union propaganda on. Uh, they were constantly harassing people in every way, shape, or form. You couldn't even go to the bathroom and get away from it. Uh, that's how bad it was. Uh, but when the, the RSW, RSWDU or RDW, RSWDU, uh, when they went in front of the, the, the hearing judge, um, this is what the, the hearing officer has come up with. He said there were so many things that were uh, that were wrong, so many things that were unfair labor practices that they're going to set aside the last election and then rerun it. It's not something that the union can really do. It's something the NLRB, NLRB has to do. Uh, now, the, the tough part for the union in this is uh, I, I would probably venture to bet that not one person who signed one of the authorization cards at the beginning, you know, over a year ago, not one of them are still in that facility. Uh, so because Amazon has this incredible turnover rate, uh, the number 150%, that means in a year, they not only go through everybody that they hired, they go through half more. Uh, and and I, I can't imagine what their hiring costs are, but it seems to be what they want. Um, so there potentially are no more union supporters left, uh, which is why I said, you know, the, they've already ta- eaten the poison fruit. Uh, it's time to now do something really draconian, impose union recognition on Amazon and force them to begin to bargain. Now, understand, Alabama is a right to work state. Doesn't mean any of those people have to be in the union, but it does mean that Amazon would have to negotiate with the union for a contract. It's just so weird. I mean, I guess if you're so rich, you can ride giant dicks into space, then it's not the money <laughs> that you're trying to yeah. to save because it, I don't know. Maybe I'm old school, but the bottom line that the shareholders were were uh, and and goodwill were were the top things, the top priorities of of any business. I guess just once it gets too big, 
it, it doesn't matter anymore. And it's all about the power, like you said, because I, I feel like Jeff Bezos would be richer if he paid fair wages, gave benefits, renegotiated contracts for the next 15 years, gave great pensions, uh, had, you know, the safety protocols in place, had a lower turnover rate. Like you said, that has to cost millions, if not billions, for this massive company. And just to spend $200 million to stop 5,000 people from organizing just absolutely blows my mind. But it's not just 5,000 people, Allison. You know, it's, right. it's 5,000 people now. Yep. Uh, what, what their theory is, and the same thing with Walmart, This none of this stuff is new. Corporate America has been doing this to workers for decades. None of this is new. Walmart has been doing it masterfully. In fact, Walmart has a response team with their own jet. Whenever someone mentions the word union at a facility, they're on that jet there to to spread their anti-union propaganda. And in fact, where places have one union votes, uh, they've actually closed them down. In Canada, they closed the Walmart down. In Oklahoma, they closed down. Like uh, It was a meat cutting. It was the butcher shop they cut down. I think in Texas, there was a place where the, uh, the, the, the auto part, the auto place, they unionized. They shut it down. They will have none of it because they understand once one gets their foot in the door, that means all workers are going to go, hey, it's possible. And once it's possible, that means that the Walton family, they're not going to be the richest three people in the world. Uh, that means Jeff Bezos isn't going to be able to ride his giant dick into the sky or play with his half a billion dollar bathtub boat. It means that workers are going to get a fair shot. And I tell this story all the time. My grandmother uh, and the, you know, my grandparents fought, came back from World War II, fought for the most prosperous working class in the history of civilization. Uh, they were both union members, very proud working people who in their lifetime uh, were able to go from being basically homeless when they got married to living a solidly middle-class existence uh, with dignity and respect into their to their passing, where they passed in their own homes. They didn't want for anything. They didn't need anything. They didn't beg for anything. They were able, through their labor, to, to raise their children and to live a decent life all the way through completion without worry, without want. And in a generation, we've lost that security. Mm -hmm. We've destroyed what that generation built. And I tell this all the time. My grandmother stopped working in 1984. 1984, she was making $8.50 an hour uh, at a, department, a small department store, much like Walmart, had six weeks vacation, had the best health care benefits you could possibly imagine, eye, dental, vision, all of that. Uh, had a defined benefit pension, had a, it was a really great job. And in comes, comes Walmart and destroys all of that. For what? Now we're making eight, 10, I guess they're talking about going up to 15 at some point uh, with crappy benefits and no retirement and very little vacation. We've destroyed what the greatest generation built for us. And it's all in the name of greed for people like Bezos and the Waltons and the rest of them. It seems like antitrust loopholes can carry some of the blame here as well. Uh, as you speak, I uh, that's the first ding, ding, ding that went off in my head. Yep. These just massive conglomerations that uh, just push all small businesses and medium-sized businesses out of existence. So I think we, uh, you know, with reforming our labor laws, the antitrust laws need a little bit of teeth as well. I mean, they're good laws. They just know, you know, laws are only as good as people who follow them. But they, they definitely need improvement. I wanted to ask you, though, about the anti-union propaganda, because I feel like and this is kind of from an outsider's perspective. I was in, you know, in there a little bit in the early aughts. But I feel like the the anti-union propaganda back in the, you know, the Norma Ray times. Right. Real obvious. Right. Real obvious anti-union propaganda. And then it, they got subtle at it. I feel like it, it became more subtle. And now I feel like much like everything Trump does, it's 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 trumpets and air horns again. It's it's like totally non subtle in your face propaganda. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the I guess the evolution of, of anti-union propaganda, where we are now and what if, if Trump had anything to do with that? I mean, I, we know that the, the racism and white nationalism in this country is is on a bullhorn now because he, he's allowed it, uh, you know. Again, symptom, not the root cause. But right. do, do you see that also in the in the the propaganda, the anti-union propaganda? I actually don't. Um, and and look, I can blame Trump for a lot because he's he's responsible for a lot. He was responsible for Peter Robb. He was responsible for allowing the NLRB to expand employers' power uh, to invade people's cars and their persons uh, at the work site, throwing union organizers out of public places. He's responsible for making it easier to for employers to withdraw union recognition. There's so many things that he is responsible for. 
But the rise in anti-union propaganda uh, isn't. This is something that's been going on since the 70s. There are organizations out there, the National Right to Work Committee, the Freedom Foundation. There are a number of these euphemistically named groups who their sole purpose in, in their existence is to, is to destroy unions because they understand unions are the only voice working people have. And what they've done masterfully is they've gotten bosses to say, look, you know, we care. You know, come to us. You know, we're you're part of the family. Uh, you're you're part of the, the the company, and and they really do a, a good job at at the start to getting people buying into that. There's no difference between them and the company, and that the union is this outsider who only wants their money to spend on democratic politicians. They only want their money to pay fat cats who who are breaking the law. Uh, they. Uh, you know, they put companies out of business. They do a really masterful job of, of putting in people's head from day one. Because uh, I'm sure you've seen these videos that are available online from Target and Walmart and all these places that tell you how wonderful they are and how much they care. Please, open door policies, suggestion boxes, and how bad and evil the union is if you just want your money and can't do anything for you. Because we're benevolent and we give you things. Um, and I always point to, and thank goodness for Trader Joe's. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the Trader Joe's story several months back, but two guys said, hey, we got problems with what you're doing for COVID. Uh, they wrote out a very nice long letter and said, hey, this is, what we, this is what we think you're doing wrong. This is what we would like you to do better. And they put it in the suggestion box. And what they got in return was a letter saying, you're both fired. You're fired because you're an at-will employee. And as an at-will employee, uh, you're not Trader Joe material. And they had no recourse because they had no union to protect them. And I use that story a lot. And I think we should be telling everybody that if you don't have a union contract, you don't have any protection. Uh, you are an at-will employee. You can be fired for any reason or no reason at all. And most of the time, it's no reason at all. Uh, as long as I don't say you're old or your gender or some federally protected thing, I can fire you for no reason. And that is real power. And I tell people all the time, you need that union contract like every CEO in this country has. Uh, they have one. Why don't you? Yeah. Did I answer that right? I mean, because. No, you did. No, you did. Cause I was just wondering if like they were sneakier in the 80s no, and they, 90s, but they've always just been bullhorn. They, they've always been. The, only, the difference of right now is Amazon was such a big, a big campaign uh, and they drew such attention that people finally after decades, and I've been doing organizing for decades. Uh, finally, somebody is paying attention to the horrible things that employers have been getting away with. Almost nothing that Amazon did is unusual. They hired the same union-busting consultants. They brought in the same union-busting law firms. They the same old dirty tricks. They did it all. The mailbox was a little bit different. I mean, they even had they even hired the police department to come and harass people who were handing out flyers and anybody who would talk to the uh, to the union organizers. Uh, this is the kind of old company town stuff, you know, that we learned about 100 years ago. Yeah. I mean, we're reliving those days. Amazon is the new company store mm -hmm. and it's the new company employer, the new company town. And we had better get our, our hands around this at some point uh, and restrain some of this stuff or it's going to be over for a lot of people. And I know my Teamsters Union, uh, they have committed to organizing uh, Amazon drivers because they don't have a choice. Uh, if Amazon gets a foothold in package delivery, UPS is done. So that nice, happy UPS man that comes to your door who makes a really good living, uh, making probably 30-some dollars an hour with great health care and retirement security, he's done for, for people who are going to make 15, 16 bucks an hour with no benefits and going to be disposable at the drop of a hat. So what kind of a society do we want? Do we want disposable, desperate, exploitable workers? Or do we want people who have a voice and a say in where they spend a third of their life and able to do like my grandparents were able to do? Live their life out with dignity, with respect, and without want. Uh, to me, it seems pretty simple as a working person. Yeah, and that's just going to, you know, drive that. The wedge that already exists, the, the massive chasm, the Grand Canyon that already exists between the wealthy and the middle class in this country is just going to be astronomical. You, you would need a space dick to get to it, is what I'm saying. Exactly. But here's the thing, and this is the good part. The good part is we made the choices to undo what my grandparents' generation did. We made policy choices. We allowed supply-side voodoo Reaganomics and neoliberal trade policies and, and tax 
schemes to ensure that the wealthy and corporations never pay taxes. We made those choices. We can make different choices. We can tax the rich. We can tax big corporations. We can we can make sure that people have the right, if they want to, to join and form unions. And we can encourage collective bargaining so people can fight for the wealth that their labor creates. You know, we talk all the time. I hear it all the time. America is a meritocracy. Bullshit. America is not a meritocracy for most working people because they never get to share in the wealth. As you pointed out, Bezos is playing with his toys in the sky and out in the water. You got people who are going to work 40 hours a week in my community, living in a homeless shelter, washing their hair in a sink because they don't make enough money to be able to support themselves. That is criminal. And it's something that has to stop. And look, uh, Biden wasn't my first choice, but he's doing some of the right things. And the Democrats had better get up off their asses and do something to help people be able to join and form unions and re recreate our economy, or they're done in a year. And in three years, they're even more done. And then this is all over. We're going back to the days of the Lochner era and back to the, the desperation class of my great grandparents. Yeah. Yep. I, I, uh, I concur. And, and I think um, we need to keep, keep our voices up and keep pushing uh, on our representatives, members of Congress, senators, and of course the president to get this done and to do something yep. about it now that we've got the, well, quote unquote, majority. Uh, good news for the short term, real quick. Good news for the short term. Uh, the NLRB now has a three to two majority uh, because the, the Senate just confirmed uh, two NLRB people, uh, Gwen Wilcox and David Prouty. That will give them a three to two majority. We can undo some of the horrible stuff of the Trump era. And also they appointed two people to the Federal Labor Relations Authority that are going to be really good and help undo some of the damage of the Trump administration. As I said, what's been done, we can begin to undo. It's just going to take time. It's going to take uh, anger. It's going to take people getting their voice up. Uh, but I'm I'm hopeful. And oh, by the way, Scabby the Rat lives. Uh, Trump and Peter Robb didn't get to kill Scabby the Rat uh, by using the NLRB. <laughs> that sounds like a great bumper sticker. Awesome. Well, I, you know what? I appreciate your time. Not only can, do we need to get these things in place, we got to keep them in place. And we have to do that by voting. We have to keep Democrats in office. So just remember that all the way down to the local level. And uh, I appreciate your time today. Tell everyone where they can find you uh, on, on the socials. Uh, the ricksmithshow.com is our website. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Smith Show, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all of those things. Uh, we're there. Get, get our podcast on, on any of your uh, your podcast carriers, you know, all of that stuff, our free speech TV show every Saturday night, 7 p.m. on free speech. Uh, also, uh, if you're in New York City, WBAI 7, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. on WBAI 99.5. Ooh, radio. All right. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time, everybody. Rick Smith. Thanks. Everybody, thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm in New York right now. We're going to be meeting up with the patrons tonight at 5 p.m. at an undisclosed location. Patrons know where it is. I'm really looking forward to seeing you all, and we will talk to you the next time we talk to you. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill, and them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.